as of right now, it's still sort of a necessary evil kind yeah. of thing. Um, yeah. And it, it's hard, it's really hard to sort of get around that. Tokyo Mate and Wall and Case present How to B2B with your hosts, Fuminori Gunji and Brian Rios. Let's get started. I'm here with Fuminori Gunji. Uh, CEO of Tokyo Made. Congratulations, also. It's a big move. Thank you. Um, yeah, and today we wanted to talk about B2B sales in Japan, um, kind of an overall guide to finding success, entering this market,、um, going over some cultural differences, things to be aware of, and then best practices.、Mm. Um, Fuminori, how are you doing today?、Uh, apart from the、uh, rainy weather,、uh, it's actually great. It's cool. So,、um, I like it. I'm feeling good. <laughs> yeah. It, is, it was like so hot yesterday. Yeah. And then it's like cold today. <laughs> it's Japan. <laughs> I'm still adjusting, if I'm being honest. Like, I, I can't remember, like, do I need an umbrella today? Or, like, do、right. I need to wear a sweater? Like, at this time、yeah. of year, I'm like, I don't know how to dress all the time. That's actually a great way to talk about B2B sales. Because、yeah. when I was in sales, actually doing sales, The thing that I checked the most was the weather. Interesting. Because, <laughs> you know, back then, you know, pre COVID, it was always like visiting customers.、Mm-hmm. And you know, you'd have to, like, you know, you'd, you'd cramp in like four meetings, sales meetings a day or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's always about, like, what am I going to wear so that I'm not sweating, like, when I get to the customer. Yeah, exactly. So it was super <laughs> weather wear. And、uh, back then, when I was working,、yeah. so I did, I think I did、uh, how many years of sales? I guess, like, In total, like nine years or something,、mm-hmm. 4.5 years at the consultancy, and then 4.5 years sort of sales ish at SoftBank.、Uh-huh. And especially like during my consulting years, the stuff that we talked about the most in the morning was like, how's the weather today? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you going to tie your tie, necktie like when you get there or already now? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyways. <laughs> no, I totally understand. I would keep, I would keep like,、uh, if when I was. We didn't have to wear, we don't have to wear a suit of wall in case. So before that,、right. when I was interviewing,、um, I had to, yeah, I would keep like a suit, my jacket in my backpack, and then I would just wear like my right. shirt. Right, right. Put it on before、yeah. I got to. <laughs> same, yeah, same. I totally get it. <laughs> nice. And so I think that, that that's kind of a good lead in as well, just to like maybe some of the differences、um, in Japan culturally.、Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, And,、uh, and I know when we had s p o k e before, you outlined、um, some of those. So maybe we can start there and then we can move into, into some tips. Yeah, 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 yeah.、Um, yeah, so B2B sales in Japan.、Um, I think when you're coming from,、um, especially like Western cultures,、uh, by Western specifically meaning,、um, I guess, North European or like US sales culture. It's,、uh, it's quite different and it seems、uh, very inefficient.、Um, and so that can be very frustrating.、Um, and、um, it has a lot to do with a couple of things, basically, the things that you mentioned, like、uh, the decision making in Japanese companies is like, very different.、Um, and the way to build relationships is different.、Um, and I think the So, to, one of the things I want to do today is、um, go sort of、um, digress enough、uh, to an extent that you kind of understand why these,、um, why, these different, where these differences come from. And I think when you understand where the differences come from, it makes sense why it is the way it is. 
and then it becomes less frustrating. <laughs> and then uh, you can have a more positive attitude about how you can sort of go about and be, do successful B2B sales. And I think that's a much, product, much more productive attitude to have than just you know, being annoyed by it. So, yeah. I totally understand. Yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I think, I think some of the stuff that you had outlined to talk about today, I think kind of helped me even view experiences that I had in a lens um, that was more understanding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess, uh, what's a good place to start? Um, yeah, so again, I think it helps to sort of go into um, the differences in culture. And um, one thing I noticed was, even before you come to Japan, you read about it, but I think you don't know what it, what the implications are, which is everybody says, okay, Japan is a very uh, homogeneous um, country in terms of like ethnic ethnicity and also culture. Um, and um, w w the implications of it is that if it's very homogeneous, then there are a lot of shared assumptions in the community or among the people. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, there's a lot of communication. In a way, it's very, it makes communication extremely efficient because you don't have to explain everything on a sort of zero base, a zero assumption basis or like from first principles. Um, the problem then is everybody skips thinking that thinking from first principles step mm -hmm. and so jumps right into um, the uh, situation where you assume everybody has the same sort of uh, ba social understanding on social contract understanding, basically. Mm -hmm. And um, I noticed the difference, especially when I, I think, went, went to a business trip to United States. And I noticed how many things are, in a way, explained more like from first principles. And I guess that's because it has so many people from different ethnicities and different cultural backgrounds that if you didn't explain it for, like, if you don't make things idiot proof, to you know, mm -hmm. say it more casually, then you run into problems. And Japan is also idiot-proof in many ways, but when it comes to B2B culture, it's not idiot-proof at all, <laughs> right? Like, if you don't know these assumptions, you look like an idiot most of the time, very easily. And it's, it's uh, assumed to be part of um, good education and also good training within the company before you're being sent out, you know, let off to interact with actual customers. Uh, that you know these assumptions. Mm -hmm. And in Japan, you might have heard these words very often, it's called like, something called like joshiki. Mm -hmm. And joshiki is basically, um, a literal translation would be common sense in English, like you know, somebody who has common sense. Um, and I guess it's used in similar ways as well, but in, in Japan, this joshiki common sense uh, is a bit heavier and I think a bit um, uh, yeah, more demanding, I think. And for example, saying somebody has joshiki is, is a compliment in the business world, right? It means uh, he understands the system or he, she understands the system and how people think. Um, it has nothing to do with logic, of course, or uh, if it's a good idea or bad idea. It's just about uh, that person understands culture, basically. Yeah. And so that's really, really key. Uh, when you come off across as a person in B2B sales who doesn't have that, mm -hmm. then that's already a good enough reason to not buy anything yeah. from you, even if it's a good product or service. I totally understand. Yeah, I totally agree. And um, 
yeah, it's interesting that you kind of talk about how um, in the West, in America maybe specifically, um, everything is kind of laid out like from the ground level and then like this is, it has a very specific process. Mm. Um, and like, um, I think that before when we talked about it, you mentioned um, how like the contract is like really the basis of the kind of that whole process. Um, and in my own experience, um, so to give some background, like uh, when I was an ad tech consultant here at Wallen Case, um, most of my interactions were with international companies, mm. but their Japanese teams here. Um, and so usually they kind of had a freedom to make the contract or not make the contract. Um, but the one time where there was like a really big overseas component, we didn't have a contract in place and the deal ended up falling through um, because we didn't have that contract in place and we couldn't get it in place in time. Uh, and like, it was the first time where it really sort of bit me um, was because like it was with like a LA based company and they just like, were like, why don't we have a contract? Yeah. Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Like that's literally business 101. And I was right. just like, it's never harmed me before. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, I totally, I totally see that difference. And I yeah. see that, yeah. yeah, I see that value. Yeah. And the, yeah. So that's why in the U S when you, when you, when you do a business deal, um, and, and in Japan, when you, when it comes to bigger deals, it's the same as well, but you know, on a sort of, let's say on a smaller scale basis, <laughs> um, in, in Europe, or I think in the US, you take a much, much closer look uh, on the, about the legal contract, the actual literal legal contract, and really go through it in detail. Um, whereas in Japan, a lot of meetings or business meetings advance without necessarily having a legal contract in place, and it's okay. Um, the more important part is the, the social contract, which is the unwritten <laughs> social contract plays a bigger role than the actual legal contract. Exactly. I think that's, that's a big difference, yeah. A hundred percent, yeah. I totally agree. Um, and so kind of looking at what um, that would mean in, in B2B sales, like beyond like the contract, like, um, yeah, I guess how, how does that affect mm. B2B sales in Japan? Um, yeah, so um, because the business deal or the business relationship is not necessarily or not primarily defined by the legal contract mm -hmm. or the terms of service for that matter. It's, it's a matter of um, how you build uh, trust and credibility um, in, in order to sell something. Mm -hmm. And the question is, okay, how do I build that? I mean, it sounds obvious, of course, it's like if you've done any B2B sales in any country, anybody would say, well, it's the same in any country, um, sort of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, somewhere in the middle, yeah. But uh, in Japan, that means, um, you have to show an understanding of uh, how the customer thinks. And that entails, for example, uh, let's start with decision-making. This one um, can start anyway, but let's start with decision-making in, in any company buying decision-making. And that is, um, uh, and this is also something that I think many people know, is uh, decision-making in Japanese companies um, especially like if it's mid-sized or bigger. If it's smaller, it can be just that, you know, that the CEO and he just, you know, decides everything. <laughs> but if, it, if it's, a, let's say, a size of more than 20 or 30 people, it kind of becomes a decision-making based on um, a collective decision-making process. <laughs> and so um, when you sit across a person in a room and you think this is the guy or the, per or the woman, whatever, who has um, the, who is in charge of making that buying decision, 
Um, it may be so on paper or it may be so on the, based on the organization chart. Mm -hmm. But the truth is uh, that person then goes back to the company or you know, talks inside to their bosses and also their employees to reach a common sort of a, 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 um, an agreement um, to make that decision. And so um, even if you convince that person in the meeting room, your sales deal is way, still far away from done, right? So if you, it's not enough if you impress that person in the room, you may feel like, yes, I think I got this really <laughs> well. And they said, you know, and you know, that person said, yeah, we, we are going to um, uh, consider this in a sort of very positive um, uh, attitude, whatever mind, then it's like, it doesn't mean anything yet, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, what, especially sort of in B2B decision making, um, what I would do, what I was also like taught to do was, um, you have to have in mind that that person then needs to convince other people in the company. Mm -hmm. So um, the way to end the meeting is I would give myself uh, a homework for the next meeting. And the homework for the next meeting is, and I would say it out loud, basically in order to set up the next meeting schedule. Because otherwise it's, it's a great way to um, get a foothold into the company and sort of um, make, create a reason for having another sales meeting. And the homework would be, okay, uh, how can I help you to deliver the message in your company to make the case for this product, this service? Because if you like it and you want it too, and of course I like it because I'm selling it, <laughs> then uh, how can we work together to convince other people in your company? Yeah. What kind of information do you need from me? Mm -hmm. How can I help you create the material for you know, the presentation, internal presentation in the company mm -hmm. um, to make the case? And it may be some kind of data about a certain KPI that they care mm -hmm. about, or it can be, and this ties into another aspect of Japanese B2B sales, um, um, what are other examples of companies in the same industry like yours? Because in Japan, uh, even if it sort of, um, you know, this market segment of like innovators, early majority, uh, yes. uh, early adopters and early majority, late majority, even the ones in uh, early adopters, especially innovators, maybe not so much, but they're like very small section of yeah. the market anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> but even when it comes to early adopters, uh, they ask the question, okay, which other company is buying using, your yeah. product, using your products, and then do you have any examples of the same industry? Mm -hmm. If you don't have it, then they're like, ah, mm, yeah. uh, let's see. Which is strange, because there is basically a thing, they're saying, okay, I want to use the exact same product that my competitors use, yeah. <laughs> right? So it's like, well, that's not how you get an edge yeah, over your competition, exactly. but if you do the exact same thing, yeah. right? That's how you think in, in other countries, but in Japan, um, and this is yet another sort of aspect of um, sort of Japanese culture is it's based on um, so most people don't want to take risks in it to, in order to advance the career because mm -hmm. um, the the best way to get promoted in especially the and especially true the bigger the company size becomes is not necessarily by taking risks and um, uh, hopefully being successful with it. Mm -hmm. So by scoring goals, let's say, in the yeah. sports metaphor mm -hmm. speaking, it's about not making mistakes. And yeah. that's the way to, for other people in these bigger companies to say, okay, if you give something to him or her, 
uh, we can expect there will be no big failure. Yeah. <laughs> it will be okay or you know, slightly yeah. better than okay. Uh, and that's a sort of better way to take a bet on someone mm -hmm. than someone who has some ideas and wants, is willing to try out something new. That's not necessarily the best way to advance your career. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are very few, other, very few companies in Japan that are exceptions. Um, but anyway, so... Big companies. Big companies, yeah. yeah. That's where, yeah. yeah. I think. So, um, so basically, yeah. So the next meeting then, the, the sales meeting would be like, okay, uh, what do you need from me? And then let me sort of gather that material and I'll show it to you in our next sales meeting. And maybe you can bring your, you know, maybe your boss or maybe some of your subordinates who would actually sort of use the tool on a daily basis and get them more familiar and sort of let's, you know, um, because of course you cannot expect that person who has been in your sales meeting once be able to explain the benefits and the good stuff about your product or service just as well as you do, right? So it's better to pull in other people into the meeting and then, so that you can talk about it directly to his stakeholders or her stakeholders of the decision maker. Um, so that's sort of the way to structure, I guess, the sales project in a way, um, from first meeting to second, third, maybe fourth meeting. Um, and along the way, sort of create more and more material information to make um, not just the decision maker, but also the uh, stakeholders of the decision maker feel comfortable with your product and service. Mm. Okay, nice. And so for you, um, where, where do you kind of think that sort of collectivism um, or that really like harmony seeking culture comes from? Um, I don't know for sure, but my hypothesis is, uh, not my hypothesis, I read, it, uh, I read about it somewhere and I thought that's very convincing, I like that idea. <laughs> um, yeah. Which is, uh, it probably is rooted in uh, the agriculture in, in Asia. So as you know, um, Asian countries tend to eat rice and rice farming is extremely uh, labor intensive, which means, um, a lot of people have to work together, uh, collaborate, coordinate, work together to get a decent amount of rice together that they can eat from. Uh, and it's very different from, for example, I think animal farms or hunter-gatherer cultures where uh, you can be a lot more, in a way, individualistic in your decision-making in order to get food. Mm. And so uh, it was always very important to um, know the social norms, act accordingly, um, be because that was the way to be productive as a group, right? And um, I think you, if if you if you said if you, if you behaved in sort of as a, as a sort of very free spirited mind and didn't care too much about what other people think and do, and then you would basically be expelled, <laughs> and then you would have no rights, yeah. right? And you would starve. Uh -huh. So it was it was. Uh, so necessity to survive, I think, um, to ha make this collective decision making, and even then, even when it, things were wrong, um, being uh, a respected member of the group was, uh, yeah, just absolutely necessary to to live to survive. Mm. I think that's where it comes from. For sure, and in in Japan, there's kind of this the culture of like the customer is God. Um, how do you feel like that has affected? maybe B2B sales and IT products? Um, 
Yeah, for that one, I think we all again have to look into history a little bit, uh, but more recent history, meaning the history of IT solutions. And um, for a very long time, uh, IT solutions, especially for like B2B, uh, for companies, um, used to be very, very custom-made systems. So they were like extremely expensive. You would have these consultants coming in, like IBM consultants or Accenture, whatever. Uh, they would come to the firm, uh, interview everyone, ask about you know how these processes are being done right now manually and where the data is stored or you know who inputs what data whatnot uh, and then they would um, draw up this very nice uh, um, sort of chart of uh, the whole process mm. and then say okay now we build a system of that one mm. um, and uh, once it was done which was already a freakingly expensive mm -hmm. uh, project to begin with mm -hmm. like for a year or maybe longer then because it's such a customized system you would need customized support and maintenance as well so these companies would make a lot of money uh, but also it's very labor intensive too but make a lot of money by uh, charging an extremely high maintenance fee annual maintenance fee of like a couple of thousand hundreds of dollars and whatnot um, but the the what i'm getting at is um, that type of relationship created this culture where the customer asks says basically like you make the system work for me mm -hmm. like adjust your system to make it fitting for my company and so the way i use, sometimes explain it to newbies um, or younger ones is basically it solutions used to be like tailor-made suit mm. And so the tailor would come to your place or you'd go to the tailor, they would measure every part of you and then they make the perfect suit that fits you. And uh, as you age or whatever you get, you know, bigger or smaller, <laughs> uh, probably rather bigger, <laughs> um, the tailor would basically adjust the system. Uh, but of course, every time you would pay um, a lot of money. And so only the rich people were able to buy suits. Nowadays, everybody's wearing suit. Where do they get it? Well, they don't buy tailor-made suit. They are hanging uh, somewhere, and uh, you just have to pick a size, S, M, O, L. But they're made in scale, and it's not very unique, uh, but it works. And uh, in a way, SaaS is just like that, right? SaaS is kind of like the Uniqlo of IT, <laughs> IT solutions. Basically, if there's a company and that says, okay, I need, in order to solve my problems, I need to buy a t-shirt. And so they go to the store and they pick SMOL based on the company size mm -hmm. or the business size mm -hmm. um, that they need. And uh, even let's say you are a bigger M size, mm -hmm. but size M doesn't really fit. You have to buy L and maybe it's, there's sort of redundancies in terms of features or whatnot, but you just buy it because that's still the cheapest option you get, mm -hmm. right? Um, and the, the problem because of this long sort of tailor-made IT uh, uh, history, uh, there are still a lot of companies out there, especially like um, uh, among elderly people uh, that say, well, I can ask the IT sales guy to customize everything for me mm -hmm. to make it work for my company. Mm -hmm. um, so that's sort of a big, big problem where you have to work with them and sort of explain. Uh, it's really important to explain the concept of SaaS and cloud and how they benefit from it as in terms of like a much, much cheaper price, but mm -hmm. they get the best product and with the newest features mm -hmm. without paying anything on top of it, mm -hmm. of what you already paid, you still get new, basically you get development for free, mm -hmm. right? Um, so that's something you need to explain a lot and don't underestimate explaining that concept because otherwise they think, oh, it's the cheaper solution, but I can just behave just like I used to. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's of course is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up. Um, I remember hearing a story about Bill Gates 
and how he thanked Japan for making Microsoft Office, or not Microsoft Office, Microsoft Windows, Windows like the best operating system in the world at that time because um, because they had so many like product demand requests <laughs> and it would be like um, like this green in Windows 98 wasn't the same as Windows XP or, or 2000. Mm. So, so when they update, they would notice that this color and they like the initial response is always like, why does that matter? But they would make the change for these Japanese companies because they're requesting it. And so it, little by little, they helped make Windows yeah. the best operating system. <laughs> but yeah, and so I think that 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 kind of concept of, of really finding those tailor-made solutions, definitely mm. it affects all companies. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally understand where you're coming from. And so, but the, um, what sort of relates to that as well is, um, so the strong request of customization, um, there's another sort of uh, cultural aspect to it, I guess, is, um, you know how Japan used to be this country in the Far East that they, they had no trade relationships with any other country, they were very isolated, and then suddenly uh, they opened up, um, I'm gonna skip the history there a little bit, but <laughs> suddenly they opened up and uh, technology started flushing in. Um, but the, 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 the relationship of Japanese with technology is slightly different uh, or systems is slightly different than with a Western culture. And uh, what I tried to say here is um, in Japan, technology is more like a tool yeah. or a toy even. Yeah. Um, and uh, if, if you can use it and it's fun or you know, it's useful, it's great. But uh, if it doesn't fit you, then you know, that's it. Um, whereas in, uh, and you can see that difference when you follow debates about technology mm. as well, uh, between like debates in Europe or US versus debates about technology in Japan. Um, and debates in, in, in about technology in, in US media or European media or anyways in any conversation is so much more uh, philosophical and about values. Mm. Whereas in Japan, it's about just more like, is it useful or not useful, <laughs> right? That's fair. Yeah. For better or worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because I think people underestimate uh, the impact of technology and system on your organization or your society even mm -hmm. in Japan. Um, and uh, it also comes, I think it also shows up in uh, the, the meaning of words. Mm -hmm. Um, in, as we all know, like if you're English native or European native, uh, when you hear the word system, mm -hmm. right, you don't necessarily think about just IT systems. Yeah, yeah, uh -huh. You think about political systems, mm -hmm. you know, organizational systems. Yeah. It's just um, like a framework or um, it was, I think the Wikipedia, let me look it up, is uh, the whole concept uh, made of uh, several parts or members, uh -huh. that's that's the system. It comes from a Greek or Latin word, systema, I think, uh -huh. whatever. Okay, okay. Um, but in Japan, when you tell them system or system, yeah, everybody thinks about IT system. Oh, interesting. Right? I didn't even because know Because they actually, have, yeah. when, when they talk about like a system in the sense of like, um, um, you know, a, a concept made of several parts, mm -hmm. whatever, it's called shikumi or wow. soshiki, right? They don't use the word system because they already had Japanese yeah, yeah, words yeah, yeah, for it. Of course sense. they have, yeah. right? Yeah. But so what does it mean for IT solutions? Uh, when, a, when a Western company decides, says, okay, we need to uh, introduce an IT system, mm -hmm. 
like the word introduction already is implying there, they understand it has implications on how your organization works mm -hmm. because it's a system. It's not just a product or just a tool. Mm -hmm. You have to adjust your organization to a certain extent um, because every IT system has an implied organization in mind. Mm -hmm. They have every IT system has certain assumptions about how decision making is made, mm -hmm. who operates based on what kind of authorities they have, mm -hmm. right? So it implies there's a certain organization. And the problem that we see very often nowadays in Japan right now, especially with whole, this whole DX trend and everybody's mm -hmm. saying DX, DX, DX. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, I get to talk about, uh, actually I had the chance to do a webinar uh, mm -hmm. the other day to uh, Japanese um, sort of SMEs, and some of them actually were from big companies as well. Um, and I described the typical problem of DX and sort of IT system introduction in Japan. And I got the feedback like, do you know my company's case? Like, no, like that's literally every time. Like, I don't need your company's case. It's, it's, I've done this like many, many times. It's always the same story. It's just, you know, that, that's how Japanese companies are. You're not alone. Um, which was uh, basically, um, they want to introduce, they want to buy an IT system, uh, but the top management and also people on the ground, they don't want to change their organizational system. Mm. So that's why they have to ask for a lot of customization in order to make that IT product work or IT system work for your organization system based on your sort of very specific ways of making decisions or like approval flows or et cetera, anything, right? And um, so when, when Japanese companies want to buy an IT system, they don't necessarily want to change their process. Mm -hmm. They just want to make the way they do things just more efficient or so certain parts like in an automated way. Mm -hmm but they don't want to change the process itself. Mm. That's always a big, big problem. And um, that's why you see a lot of systems, for example, the reason why something like robot process automation, mm -hmm. RPA is so okay. popular in Japan is because of that. You mm. don't need to change the system. You it's don't need to change processes. any of the process. It's just yeah. automating what somebody A or person B <laughs> was doing. That's it. So it's very easy to understand for yeah. the customers. Uh -huh. That's why it's so popular. In, I don't know how, how popular RPA is in other countries, but in my humble opinion, yeah. it's, it's, not, it's just a sort of bridge solution, I guess it's good mm. for a bridge solution, but it doesn't necessarily like really free up resources mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. you're still tied into the old decision-making approval. <laughs> and yeah, so anyways, but that was just yeah. too much of my personal opinion. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, it's um, good, yeah. Yeah, actually, the consulting firm I used to work for are selling IPA, RPA solutions, so hopefully they don't hear it. <laughs> I don't get invited to their parties anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, so th that's something that you see uh, very often in Japan. And so um, it's, it's not sort of the, the, the lack of understanding what, what it implies to implement, introduce a system, mm -hmm. um, like really a system into your organization. Super interesting. Nice. Um, Nice. And so I think that kind of from here, what would be maybe beneficial is to kind of do maybe just like a, a review of kind of things we've talked about and then what those what those kind of translate to when you're mm. actually dealing with um, buyers or decision makers or purchase decision makers right, in, in right. these companies. So we kind of talked a lot about uh, what the difficulties are and where that comes from, the sort of historical context. and. Uh, and if you're an impatient business person, then you basically ask the question would be, okay, right, right, I got it, I got it, I got it. <laughs> so what am I supposed to do now? Yeah. Um, and so I, I think, uh, yeah, so to, just to review, 
uh, one thing is, okay, uh, showcase uh, that you have common sense, which is basically uh, you show them you understand the customer. So don't offend the customer with statements that are very sort of non-standard or, um, you know, something that, you know, basically make it sound like uh, what you provide is the new de facto standard of the industry. Mm. So um, basically make the customer think like, okay, if you're not buying this, then you are the one is kind of behind mm -hmm. you. You're falling behind the group because <laughs> that's what they fear most, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. They don't want yeah. to be, fall behind the group. So basically, um, when it comes to when they ask, for example, okay, um, in order to make them feel comfortable in buying that, mm. you'd have to, um, for example, uh, show uh, cases of companies in the same industry, mm -hmm. ideally. Mm -hmm. And even if you don't have it, you can kind of make up. Um, a case that make it sound like it's the same industry mm -hmm. by saying, okay, I got this user case, mm -hmm. which is a different industry, mm -hmm. but the problems that they had are exactly the same problems that you have. Mm -hmm. So it's technically the same case, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's just a different industry, mm -hmm. but the problems that we are talking about here that you want to solve, the they had that too. Mm -hmm. It's just, they're just telling a different product, but it's basically the same. They had a similar kind of organization, similar kind of decision-making structure like your company. So when they can make use of it, you can too, mm -hmm. right? And basically tell them like, okay, if you don't get on this train now, then you are the one who will be falling behind the group mm -hmm. and you don't want that. Right, sure. uh, in a sort of very nice, yeah. Uh, yeah. patient way. So, <laughs> so that's sort of how to cover or counteract on how do I deal with the common sense part, uh -huh. and how do I deal with this group thinking, uh -huh. um, um, uh, at least like on a sort of external group thinking. When it comes to the internal group thinking, meaning mm -hmm. that the sort of the collective decision making process, that's uh, where we kind of kind of covered this uh, a little bit before was. Um, see you, the person um, across your table, not something that, not someone as you have to convince, convince, I mean, you have to do that too, but the next step is then, okay, how can I help that person to convince other people in the company and basically ask them a lot of questions about how you can help that person creating, um, you know, delivering the kind of information or material they need to convince their bosses or subordinates. Mm -hmm. And maybe arrange for, you know, a sales demo for your subordinates so that they feel comfortable, yes, this is something I can use, or um, pro help them with uh, measuring certain KPIs that their bosses would care about, that type of thing. So you become a partner of uh, the person that you're sitting across to basically in order to make that uh, collective decision making in their company. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah, I really like that point that you made about um, working on like a, an internal sales deck for them, with yeah. them. I think that that's really valuable and like, yeah, I think I, think I, I can really see the value there. And it's a great way to um, basically set up a follow-up sales meeting. Because mm -hmm. uh, if yeah. they're indecided, yeah. then they were like, yeah, uh, I'll think about it, and I'll get back to you uh, when I feel like it, which is never, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> most, most of the time. So uh, you can say, okay, uh, I guess, you know, maybe there's some budgetary issues, like, you know, next quarter budget. Uh, let's set up a next meeting yeah. where I will come back with information that you need, mm -hmm. right? Um, and basically, uh, so what I used to do was I would set the next sales meeting date 
in that meeting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so when it's just, you know, of course, because you don't have to ask, like, can you look at your schedule? Of yeah. course, they have their, you just know, their PC them. open. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. they can't really go away yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and say like, okay, when are you, when's, when's your, you know, yeah. when does it work for you? When's the next big meeting when you are supposed to pitch, you know, whatever, how yeah. you go about and yeah. whatever. And so pick that date and then say, okay, until then, I will gather the kind of information and probably send it to you prior via email so that you can look through and maybe ask a couple of more questions so that I can prepare. Mm -hmm. Um, So for B2B sales, um, that's sort of the approach that you have to take and basically uh, help them with creating more and more information. And it's a lot of work in the beginning, Mm -hmm. but when you do it a couple of times, Mm -hmm. you kind of have your material, like your template and patterns ready. Uh So you... But you still pretend to be like, okay, uh, I'll look it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, you have it already ready yeah. in your backyard. But it, it yeah. makes you, it makes them feel like, oh, he's working for me. Yeah, like yeah, he's, yeah. he's, you know, he's really making an effort yeah. to, and that was, you know, it adds credibility and trust and whatnot, even though it's already made stuff. So you don't set it to them like the next day, like, hey, here it is, like that was fast. Yeah. Like take a week, you know, yeah. like oh, I had to look up a lot of stuff. <laughs> I had to ask my engineers or whatever. Yeah. I had to interview other user- yeah. users, and here is uh, your additional material. Yeah. And they're like, oh, thank you for yeah. putting out, you know, yeah. putting in so much work into it, yeah. and uh, appreciate it. And then looking forward to the next meeting. Da 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 da. And that's how you sort of build up, slowly build yeah. up uh, the trust. It almost ties into that uh, that idea of of IT solutions that you're talking about before, with like the custom tailored suits, yeah. like that sales process. You really have to showcase that yeah. you're going to deliver that white glove level right. of service. Right. Right. Nice. And so um, one last thing that I mm-hmm. wanted to touch on. Um, was uh, partner versus direct sales. Ah, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess let's just start there. Like, what, what, are, what are some of your thoughts there, especially um, in Japan? Yeah, so uh, partner sales in Japan is uh, very, very important. And if you want to increase your company size beyond a certain level, or beyond a certain um, size, I guess, I wouldn't say it's... Uh, um, impossible to do it without, but it's very hard. Mm. You should just know that. And um, even the seemingly super big companies like SoftBank, which, uh, where I can speak a lot about, because I was sort of working alongside B2B sales for many years. Mm. Uh, believe it or not, they have they have like two thousand more than two thousand salespeople in Japan. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the biggest sales teams in Japan, mm-hmm. right? Or Rico, for example, I also work with them. They have more than 5,000 B2B salespeople in Japan. It's the biggest sales force in Japan. That's a and, lot of people. That's right, so that's a lot people. of people. Yeah. And it sounds, and you would think like, okay, I'm sure they're just doing direct sales. I don't even sales. know if I can, like, that's, that's <laughs> yeah, so Basically, they got a branch in every little town. Yeah. But believe it or not, they have a lot of sales partners. Yeah, uh, that's, okay, <laughs> wow, yeah. And Super uh, I, to be honest, I don't know exactly where this comes from, but yeah. there is a long history in Japan of having a lot of sort of middlemen. Yeah. Um, and I don't know where that comes from, but um, it, that's, it's just fact. Like uh, since Middle Ages, there's always been Japanese sort of um, distribution has always been characterized by having a lot of middlemen mm. who I think customize the kind of size you need. Mm. Like they don't want, you know, the bulk, mm-hmm. from bulk to retail kind mm-hmm. of thing. And there's a lot of middlemen, which kind of uh, along the way increase the price, of course, mm. uh, for the end consumer. Um, but anyways, um, digressing a bit too much. <laughs> it's fine. Um, direct to partner, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, two things, um, especially like speaking in terms of like IT solutions, you need at least 
um, even if it's small scale, it's definitely important to keep and have a direct sales channel. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, that's the best way to um, get customer feedback, like mm. the real customer feedback. For sure. Um, partner, also important, uh, but mostly um, in order to reach out to more customers, mm -hmm. but don't expect them to deliver a lot of useful information. Mm. Um, I think this is the same in any country, by the way. But um, so... Uh, these partner, the companies who are willing to do sort of partner sales, um, their salespeople, there are very few exceptions, but most of the companies, uh, they're not going to learn your product, mm -hmm. right? They don't care. Yeah. What they want is uh, just give me a pamphlet, mm -hmm. I'll show it to the customer, <laughs> and if they say I want to buy it, then I'll just tell you, hey, go close the deal. Yeah. I'm not going to do much work. <laughs> Don't expect them to do much work, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. They're not going to close the deal yeah, for you. Yeah, yeah. They, they, in a way, they're just a lead generator, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. they still charge you a lot of money. <laughs> uh, we're speaking about minimum 15% of the revenue. Oh, wow. Actually, yeah. Sometimes it goes up to 35. Yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. joking. Wow. And they, yeah. it's just for introducing the lead to you, really, what they actually do. But uh, this is another problem, what you have to do or to know about partner sales in Japan. This is something I think very peculiar um, about Japan, unique Japan. Is, um, so these partner companies, the way mm -hmm. uh, sales teams or the incentive structure of mm -hmm. salespeople in Japan is, is based always on revenue, mm -hmm. right? And revenue means, um, so when you're talking about partner sales, uh, they are not happy with a scheme where you say, oh, you know what, you just have to introduce me to the leads and I'll, I'll give you like a nice kickback, mm -hmm. you know, money, cash incentive, mm -hmm. I'll pay you, <laughs> right? Uh, and we do the sales. Mm -hmm. They're never, never happy with that. Mm -hmm. They say, no, 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 I want to invoice the customer. <laughs> I want to be the one who sends the, yeah. on the invoice it says like my company, yeah, name, yeah, not yeah. yours. Yeah, yeah. We're just, you know, you're just yeah. the vendor yeah, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. Because yeah. I want to keep the, the transaction relationship with mm -hmm. the customer, mm -hmm. right? You push the product through yeah. me, but I'm the one who charges the customer. Mm -hmm. That's that what makes it very, very hard to do, uh, to, to come up with a good structure of partner sales in mm. Japan. Because that means, for example, especially now with, uh, it used to be okay with hardware, that's mm. kind of fine. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to like IT, especially like mm -hmm. SaaS solutions, mm -hmm. okay, who, does, who, who then is the customer support? Yeah. And then, okay, it's I am the salesperson, <laughs> But for support, you have to ask them yeah, directly. The yeah, yeah. But all the conversation that we had, they're supposed to know somehow. So there's a lot of like information <laughs> that needs to be passed on. It's like yeah. very inefficient. Yeah. Um, but beyond a certain size, because they have so captured, they have built this trust relationship that we spoke about with that customer. Mm -hmm. When the customer buys a product, they're not buying it because it's a good product. They're buying it because it was recommended by the salesperson mm -hmm. with whom they have a long relationship, yeah, especially. Mm -hmm. Maybe in Tokyo it doesn't matter that much anymore in the city area, yeah. but if you go to like a bit more rural areas, yeah. they they know this salesperson for more than ten years. Mm -hmm, They've mm -hmm. bought like all kinds of stuff from them: <laughs> the printer, the PC, like like really, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. maybe even furniture, yeah, yeah, yeah. office furniture, even that. Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of like sales B2B sales companies in Japan, they ca they kind of sell everything. Yeah. Not just even though they're saying okay, we just so focus on IT, yeah. they're selling printers, PCs, chairs, like really everything. And so the way they do, the way the customer does research is just asking the salesperson like, hey, you kind of know uh, these products, right? What do you recommend, mm -hmm. right? And that's where they make that's how they make the buying decision. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then, of course, and once they get the recommendation, of course, then the whole process of what we mentioned before still is there. Um, yeah. And then basically the salesperson pretends to know, not knowing, and says, okay, let me actually check with the vendor. And then ask you all these questions because they don't, they're not going to learn your product. They're going to yeah. ask you questions all the time. Yeah. So basically you need a separate support team just for your partner sales team or partner company. Um, but uh, it's, as of right now, it's still sort of a necessary evil kind yeah. of thing. Um, yeah. And it, it's hard, it's really hard to sort of get around that. It's so interesting that, like, I didn't realize like, to the extent, too, because for me, most of my clients, like I said before, were coming in, were, the, were ad tech clients. And so, especially in ad tech, um, you have to go through the agency. I mean, mm -hmm. like, that's basically the only way you're yeah. going to get sold in Japan. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's just like that was the companies that we saw that were successful had a strong established relationship with with all of the agencies, basically like all the big three, like Densu, Hakuhodo, mm -hmm. ADK. Um, and if they didn't have that, it would you would see them fall off. Like after like two years, they're pulling out of the market or they get acquired by another company. And yeah, it's so... Yeah, like you said, it's a necessary evil. There's no way around yeah. it, really. Yeah. But uh, I'm pretty hopeful... Um, Despite that, despite that structure, uh, the internet has changed a lot, mm -hmm. of course. Like a lot more direct mm -hmm. transactions are possible thanks to the internet. Um, even if you're in an urban area, if you're IT literate, you can look it up yeah. and buy it, <laughs> right? So, you can reach out to yeah, them directly. So um, what's happening is, um, I think right now, as of right now, 2021, we're still in the phase where we sort of, you kind of need them. Mm -hmm. But all the baby boomers mm -hmm. are sort of going to retirement. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what you see in rural areas, especially like these family businesses, you see that the younger son or daughter is taking over the yeah, business. Yeah. And they are a lot more IT literate. I totally know, yeah. And they're totally okay with not yeah. going through the middleman of the yeah. salesperson. Yeah. They're like, no, 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 I'm, the, I'm just going to Google it. Yeah. And I, I can, can see the price comparison. Download it's, Shopify. It's on, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm going to Google it, and I'm going to buy the stuff that makes most sense to me. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's, this, it's a generational thing as well. And I think within 10, 20 years, it's going to look very different. It's super, that's like, this is, we could, we'll probably come back to this maybe on a later topic, mm. I think. Um, but that, that kind of leads well into like a conversation around DX and what that means in yeah. Japan. Yeah, right, right. Cool. I mean, I think that that sounds great. Um, I think that there's a lot there. Um, I hope that this will help people kind of get a, a strong grounding in what B2B sales is like in Japan, um, some of those key cultural differences, uh, and then as well as how to overcome them, and then maybe the best, the best route to go from there. Mm. Um, cool, anything, anything you want to add at this point? Um, nowadays, it's okay not to wear necktie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, my, that's my closing. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the best way to close it. Anyways, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Fuminori. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Let's Always do it again pleasure, soon. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please remember to subscribe so you don't miss another episode. We'll see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>